Rewind. This is Dope Nostalgia. Welcome to episode 177 of Dope Nostalgia Podcast, and I'm your host, Naomi. Our special guest today, his name was everywhere for a certain time in the 90s. The song was called Are You Jimmy Ray? And Jimmy Ray is going to be on our show today. Very, very cool guy. Really a big sweetheart. It was lovely talking with him. So here's some information on Jimmy Ray. Wikipedia moment. Please bear in mind that Wikipedia is not to be taken as actual 100% fact. Any donkey could edit it at any time. If I'm reading you the artist's bio, that stuff is real truth. James Ray, born October 3rd, 1970, known professionally by his stage name, Jimmy Ray, is an English singer, songwriter, and musician. In press interviews and promotional materials, Ray cited his influence by the music of Elvis Presley and other rock and roll stars such as Buddy Holly, Eddie Cochran, and Tommy Steele. His manager was Simon Fuller, who also managed the Spice Girls and produced the hit show American Idol. Ray's recording career began as one half of techno pop outfit AV, which stood for Alternative Vision. The duo was founded in 1994 by Graham Drinnen, aka Gypsy, who previously as a solo artist had scored several critically acclaimed techno house hits in the early 90s, most notably I Trance You, Funk Defino, and Skinny Bumblebee. Now, A.V. signed to Sony S2 Records in 1994, but no recordings were ever released. After splitting from Drinnen in 1996, Ray went on to score a hit single in both the United Kingdom and the United States with his debut single, Are You Jimmy Ray? The following year, Are You Jimmy Ray reached number 13 on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100 and sold over half a million copies in the U.S. alone. Ray released his self-titled album in the U.S. in March 1998, but the album was never issued in the U.K. The song Are You Jimmy Ray was successful in his native country, reaching number 13 on the U.K. singles chart in November of 97. Ray followed up in 1998, primarily in the U.K., with the song Going to Vegas, including a televised performance on Live and Kicking Friday. Ray went on to the U.S. tour with the Backstreet Boys in late 1998. A third promotional single and video clip, I Got Rolled, was put out. In a November 2015 announcement on his official fan page, Jimmy Ray stated that he was working on material for a comeback record. This was later confirmed in 2016 on his record label's website, La Rocca Records. La Rocca Records was created in 2016 as a launch pad for Jimmy's comeback album tentatively titled Live to Fight Another Day. A later promotional video posted on the La Rocca Records website and YouTube channel confirmed the release date as the 13th of October, 2017. You want to hear what Jimmy's up to now? We've got the man himself, Jimmy Ray, here today on Dope Nostalgia. Welcome. Hello, how you Hi. doing? Nice to meet you. Thank you. Nice for to the meet time. you. You're welcome. <laughs> you Can I ask, it. is it uh, 
Naomi or Naomi? It's Naomi. Thank you. People people usually just say it wrong, so I appreciate that. <laughs> I wanted to get it right. So where are you located nowadays? So I live in a place called, you probably won't be able to pronounce this uh, first of all, being uh, transatlantic, but it's Sawbridgeworth. Sawbridgeworth? <laughs> yeah. Sawbridgeworth. Sawbridgeworth, which is in a, it's in a county just to the sort of north of London. Okay. Um, yeah, I was born and raised in London, but I've lived, you know, as tends to happen when you get a little bit older, you move out mm. out of the, uh, <laughs> you know, the hubbub of the city. And I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in a sort of suburban, almost country setting mm. now. Yeah, but oh. it's, it's, it's pleasant. <laughs> That's so lovely. Yeah. Do you got like family out there or are they all in London? Um, well, I live with my fiance here. And I have I have family who live in different parts of of the country, yeah. Okay. Um, so I I don't live close to family, but I can see them all within you know an hour, a couple of hours. So Perfect. I do that fairly regularly. And and you are in Edmonton, Canada. Edmonton, right? Yeah. I I I don't think I've ever been to Edmonton, but I I had a friend. I I spent quite a few months in Vancouver, mm. going back a bit now, about ten years ago. Um, and I had a friend who was from Edmonton and. Yeah, so I know a little bit about the Canadian lifestyle. Vancouver, especially, is also very uh, laid back and sort of uh, the part I was in anyway was um, quite uh, you know uh, green. <laughs> it's gorgeous there, yeah. yeah, and especially with the mountains and everything surrounding it, it's wonderful. Absolutely. Well, thanks for this uh, opportunity. It's nice to chat with you, and uh, for I'm looking sure. forward to it. I'm excited to find out what's been happening for you, especially with music and um, some of your memories from the times when your first album came out. Um, now, before that, I heard that you were in a duo, right? Alternative Vision, when you first started That's recording. Right. That's right. Yeah, it's kind of like the lost part of my career, really. Um, Alternative Vision, we, we kind of referred to ourselves as AV. Um that was my first sort of contact with the the, the industry proper with the labels mm. um before then for quite a few years six seven years i'd been in a school band and i'd been a guitarist in that band and a backing singer but a terrible one mm. i didn't really know how to play the guitar and sing at the same time in those days um but yeah well, i uh, that kind of finished and then I, I, I met my partner in AV, uh, Gypsy. Mm -hmm. And uh, we what happened was I moved from where I'd lived in sort of northeast London, sort of the outskirts of London, into central London, a place called Barnes, which was most famous for a studio called Olympic Studios. Okay. Um, the likes of Queen and Jimi Hendrix had recorded there. And I moved into that sort of environment. And it, it was still a, it was still an ongoing concern in those days. You know, it was it was still being used by all the top acts. And then you just get into more of a community where you know established musicians are working. And then, it, you know, they say it's a cliche, of course, but they say it's not what you know, it's who you know. Mm. And uh, and then being in that environment, and that's when I met up with Gypsy through a friend. And yeah, we we formed this duo, which was essentially a Pet Shop Boys rehash. You know, I mean. Mm. That, 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 that's what it was but but what happened the interesting thing about that is i then my role changed drastically from like i say being a sort of guitarist and backup singer to being a front man essentially and um you know it took a little bit of adjustment 
Um, uh, but I, I, you know, I always, my experience had been being in a band rather than being a solo artist. So I felt, you know, I went from the five piece to that was a two piece. <laughs> and then, um, and then, you know, I mean, I can tell you the whole story of what happened there, but um, it didn't, it, we got signed, um, but it didn't, uh, it didn't last too long. I think we might've been doing it like 18 months and we signed like this incredibly lucrative record contract. But mm. then, <laughs> you know, what hap What usually happens is, you know, bands have musical differences or differences of one sort of an or another after some success or, you know, after a period of time. But our musical differences happened immediately. Mm. Um, so, yeah, there were problems there. But, I mean, we did record an album which never mm -hmm. saw the light of day. You know, it's still on a, a dusty shelf in Sony's, uh, you know, uh, back room somewhere. Really? Um, yeah. I mean, and the music was very different to what I came to do after that. Um, it was essentially trance pop, very mm -hmm. much in the style of the Pet Shop Boys. Um, I mean, we weren't copy, you know, we didn't model them ourselves on the Pet Shop Boys, but that obviously was a, a comparator, you know, two guys, one guy, Gypsy was like the genius, you know, Gypsy was a keyboard trance genius and a great songwriter. Um, so he was the brains <laughs> and I was, you know, I was just be beautiful and shut up. <laughs> so do you find that you were making music that you found satisfying then for yourself, like for, for the music that you're influenced by? Well, I was, but again, it was a drastic change because my influences were always, I mean, I grew up in the eighties, so I loved pop music and I loved the Pet Shop Boys, but mm -hmm. I also had this real passion as you probably can, can, um, you know, uh, it's probably obvious that I had this passion for rock and roll music. I loved all the fifties rock and roll artists. Mm -hmm. Um, and that, you know, being a guitarist, that was came natural to me, you know, because guitar being the main instrument in rock and roll. But I also, but I did love pop and the, and the 80s was an era of synth pop. Mm. And there was a band, there was a band called The Shaman. Yes. Uh, you remember those? Yeah, like uh, them, yeah. Ebenezer, Ebenezer Good and all the rest of it. And they were like the they were like the bridge between the music I liked and the music the Gypsy was doing because they, they were basically a crossover band from trance into pop, you know. Mm -hmm. So... So so when when I did join Gypsy and AV, I found it very exciting and enjoyable, you know. I but it was it was writing and recording in a style that I wasn't used to actually doing, and you know, consequently, I felt like the newbie because I'd crossed over to his style of music, mm. and it did take a bit of adjustment. But I mean, I mean, I remember one moment when when we were doing demos early on before we got signed because we moved into a house together. And we just sort of, as is usually the way, just, you know, just stayed up all night, every night, just recorded and putting ideas out. But mm -hmm. I remember we recorded a line, a lyric, and he said, Look, I want to cut this up. I want to cut it up. So it goes, you know, uh, well, I can't, remember the, I can't remember the line, but it was like, blah, 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 blah. you know, cut my, my vocal up so it kind of fitted in with the, you know, the, the beat of the song. And, and I was I like, that's cool. I love it. And he was like really surprised. Staccato, almost. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. You know, just using that kind of trancey style vocal edit. Mm -hmm. And he was surprised that it didn't bother me, you know, because he said, I've worked with other vocalists and they're usually quite precious about their voice. You know, they want it the way they want it. 
but mm. I because I was into trance music, you know, or at least that crossover style of trance, you know, I I, I, I went into it wholeheartedly and really enjoyed it, you know. Mm. So it really worked. It, it, we were actually a good match musically. It was other things that got in the way of that ever coming coming out. You know, I don't quite know exactly what happened. I mean, I could tell you a few stories, but. <laughs> yeah, I don't know where you want. But I don't know where you always, want to go with this. There's always the like you said. It's a very common story to hear about the disagreements that can make things fall apart or mm. not not go down the path you intended. Yeah, <laughs> but then the journey from then until 1997, when the hit single comes out, charting huge in the United States. How? did you decide to do the music you ended up doing as the solo act? Yeah. Well, that was, you know, when, when AV finally, when the guys at the label and we realized that that wasn't going to happen, mm -hmm. um, I naturally, I suppose, went back to something that I was more comfortable doing mm -hmm. and then started to write more, you know, I went back to the guitar and started to write. And, but I'd also been fortunate enough to invest in some recording equipment um, you know, I'd always I'd always written, but when I was in AV, I'd, I I had to take a back seat with that because Gypsy was the genius, you know. So he would um he he would take care of all the production. But when he you know when when that fell apart, I went back to recording. I, I had some pretty decent uh, studio gear, mm. and then I, I I mean it's it's a strange one because rock and roll music at that time was really out of fashion. You know, it just, I mean, traditional sort of, you know, 12-bar blues style rock and roll. Yeah. was not happening. I mean, it was the Britpop explosion in, in Britain. And it was more it was more derivative of music from the 60s, the Beatles, the Stones, and that kind of thing. So, yeah. like, that kind of 50s rock and roll w w was not in at all. So, so I was kind of thinking, well, if I'm going to do this, if I'm going to go back to my roots, I, I need to, you know, give it a fresh, you know, lick of paint. Yeah. So I I, I kind of used those sort of production techniques that I'd learned working with Gypsy and AV and and that's where I came up with this idea of um I think I called it at the time Papa Billy hip hop because I was using <laughs> you know because I was I was mixing pop with rockabilly and and hip hop uh, you know uh, in the mm. sense hip hop in the sense of using samples so I I you know all of my rhythm section was all break beats and samples and stuff you know and and so that's how I felt I was relevant at that time. I was I was quite reluctant to go back to straight rock and roll, you know, with a band in the studio because I thought it, you know, people would be like, "Oh my god, it's like a rock and roll revival," you know, and <laughs> you know, and it, 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 rock and roll is a funny thing because to me, the stars of rock and roll in the nineteen fifties were very cool, you know, their their style of dress, Little Richard and Elvis, of course. They yeah. looked sharp, you know, and it, it had a real sort of pizzazz and zing to it. But when that music came over to Britain, when we tried to do straight rock and roll, it didn't really work. Hmm. We, we had things called Teddy Boys over over here, based oh. on these long. Well, we our our rock and rollers used to wear these long coats. Mm -hmm. uh, they were like based on the Edwardian um, gentlemen's coats. I don't know why that revived, but they and they became known as Teddy Boys, and it was. I hated that look. Like I couldn't stand the British version of rock and roll. <laughs> I loved the American version of it. Um, so, mm -hmm. you know, I, I was very wary. I didn't want to come across as like a sort of English teddy boy. 
Mm-hmm. Um, but ironically, looking at it now, you know, all this time later, I think had I gone more um, authentic, it might have worked. It might have worked, you know, because I think subsequently I, I suffered a little bit or my career did a little bit because I, I think I came across a little bit too pop. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was, but that was like my choice at the time to use sort of uh, recording techniques, and so I, I think I ended up being labelled as lacking a bit of authenticity. But that was like a deliberate decision. But I don't mm-hmm. think that really came across. But you know, hey ho. Well, I mean, the break was big when the song came out, and you got to travel to the US to promote the album. You got to be on some huge shows here in North mm-hmm. America. What's yeah. one of the best uh, memories you have of some of the shows you visited and uh, the hosts and such? <laughs> well, so many, actually. Um, so many great mm. memories. They they were some of the, you know, my favourite moments. I mean, I remember doing, um, I remember meeting John Travolta before we did The Tonight Show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was a guest on the show and I, um, Jay Leno invited me to go and meet with John. And, mm. and I did. And, you know, obviously big fan of his through his uh role as Danny Zucco you know that was right in keeping with my my style and I yeah quite you know quite naively or quite childishly the first thing I said to him was John I bet you remember having hair like this (laughs) pointed to my (laughs) hairstyle because it was the Danny Danny Zucco quiff and he must have thought oh god you know grow up but uh and he now he was very gracious and he said well the thing is they they um they they've they put some color in my hair tonight because i didn't want to i didn't want to look like him like pointing to jay because they would have both had gray hair at the time but that was a great um that was a great memory i also remember meeting jamie lee curtis backstage at um one of the other shows mm-hmm. um i can't be sure which one it was it, i think it might have been rosie o'donnell actually um yeah. and the thing about um Jamie Lee was, of course, her dad being Tony Curtis, who was also like a... Well, Tony Curtis influenced Elvis. Elvis mm-hmm. said on more than one occasion that he based his image a little bit on Tony Curtis, you know, with the dark hair. And, and so it was like, it was weird. And I was very cognizant of that when I met Jamie. But what happened was I we'd gone onto the stage to do the show. And when I came back, my creeper shoes had gone missing from the dressing room. And mm. I was like, where the hell are my shoes? <laughs> and um, there was a note. I found a note. It said, I've kidnapped your shoes and I'm not going to give them back to you until you come and give me an autograph for my daughter, signed Jamie Lee Curtis. Oh, <laughs> wow. Yeah, it was really it was really fun, you know. And then I, so I found her and uh, we had a nice chat. And she, I mean, she genuinely, genuinely was lovely. I mean, she was, you know, really down to earth and, she gave me a word of advice. She said, you know, just just be yourself, you know, and look after yourself. Look after mm. what you want to do because a lot of people drag you here and pull you there and try and get you to do this and that. And she said, just be true to yourself. And um, so that was a really nice meeting. That oh, stands she out in the memory. Lovely. She 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 was. She genuinely was really, really sweet. But there were loads of great meetings that um some of them were really, you know, they say you know, kill your idols and, you know, and don't meet your heroes and things like that because there's a tendency that they don't live up to your expectations. You know, I'm sure I've fulfilled that role for many people that have met me. <laughs> but um, 
most of the time I was blown away because I've always been a bit starstruck. You know, I've always been yeah. drawn to celebrities. I like their stories and things. And, you know, I met people like, um, um, his name escapes me right now, the guy that played Fonz all those years ago in uh, Happy Days. Henry Winkler. Uh, Henry Winkler. He was really sweet. He, off he, he asked if I had a cough suite backstage and, I was like, I can't remember what I said, but, you know, just really nice, you know, for someone from England who really, I didn't grow up around a show busy family or anything like that. I was just a regular guy. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, to find myself in that situation in, in, in the States, of course, meeting these celebrities, you know, to me, I, it was a big deal, you know, and it, I often kind of went back into myself because I was always quite shy. Yeah. Um. So I, I wasn't really like the flamboyant type and very sociable, you know, I, and I might have come across as a little bit aloof at times, but I, I was starstruck. That's what it was. You know, I was like, I'm not worthy of <laughs> being in your presence. You know, it was it's hard it was because more... it, sometimes you don't know what to say. Yeah, yeah, really. Yeah. It's that thing, isn't it? Where, you know, two hours later, you're like, why did, why didn't I say that? You know, why <laughs> didn't I, <laughs> you know, present myself in a more composed manner, you know? Um, but I had some, they've, great meetings um they and they are some of the highlights you know um mm -hmm. but a lot of the shows um ricky lake was lovely ricky lake really went to town with the staging they created a whole diner like a 1950s diner on the stage wow um, and, uh, yeah that was really nice um but it was so it was so elaborate that i start i remember i started roaming around during the performance like <laughs> like i was in a diner you know, going to sit with the people at the back and I remember I missed a couple of lines on the mic because I left it too late to get back to the microphone. <laughs> but um, yeah, she was a sweetheart, and, and 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 Rosie O'Donnell, she was really lovely. We had a really nice chat together, and um, she she was fun, you know. Yeah, I had really well, good experiences experiences of the TV shows. Yeah, for sure. I watched the uh, Rosie interview where she gets you that bubble tape, the bubble mm. gum tape. Such a retro <laughs> thing. I love that. <laughs> She had, I mean, she, her desk was covered in all that stuff. You know, she's obviously like yeah. a bit kitschy mm -hmm. and she liked all that. And I, you know, as did I. So we, you know, we kind of, we connected on that level, that kind of really sort of childish, you know, oh, let's play with some toys, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it's but true. It's, that's what it's all about. It's good fun, you know. Well. to in each video have a beautiful guitar am i correct to assume that you're playing a gretch most of the time 
Well, Gretsch guitars, yeah. I mean, again, most of my guitar choices would have been based on guitars that were used in the 50s. Mm. Uh, Eddie Cochran played Gretsch guitars. Um, you know, all the, all the greats, the country gent. Um, and yeah, but to be honest with you, um, they weren't my guitars, most of them. Because, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, again, you know, my brush with stardom came around quite quickly um, from being, you know, very lowly paid uh, manual worker in various jobs, you know, to my journey was quite quick. So yeah. I just couldn't have, I didn't have the money to own those kind of guitars. So often, uh, and I hate to burst the bubble here, but often I was borrowing those guitars. Can you believe that? Um, but they were beautiful. And I was very disappointed when the uh, country gent, the orange country gent that I had in, um, I think it was the I Got Rolled video and mm. that I took on tour with me. I had to give it back. I remember um, being heartbroken. Well, there were two things I remember about that guitar. One was, I think I was on tour with the Backstreet Boys. And I, at the end of my little segment, I gave it away to someone in the audience. I was like, who wants this guitar? Because, of course, it wasn't wasn't mine, right? So, like, who wants this? I think think someone might have said to me, you've got to give that back. (laughs) And I was like, well... Okay, well, if they want it back, they're gonna to have to get it off some random out of the audience. <laughs> so I gave it away to someone mm. in the audience, and and I feel really bad about this. But one of my tour guys went and got it back again. <laughs> they either hunted he down to <laughs> <laughs> they hunted down the person who I'd given it to, and they got it back. Mm. But then they gave it, and then they gave it back to me, and then I brought it back to London. And then they asked for it back again. And then I had to give it back. And I had to give it back again. But I think by then it was a bit smashed up. I think it had been through the wars. So, you know, I, oh. do you know what I mean? It's like, you can't give it, it to me a... and then ask it back. <laughs> the guitar has a story now. It has scars. Yeah. Its, I, don't, its... I wonder where it is now. You know, who knows? No kidding. What what types of guitars do you bond with the most that you enjoy? What kind of what's your collection like now? Um, well, I got one here beside me. This is one that I bought actually when I was in the state. This is my Gibson uh, acoustic. Um, mm. I bought it. Why did I buy this guitar? Do you think? Have a guess. The cutouts? I don't know. No, the color. Just the color. It's it That's is it. nice. I'm, yes, I'm very. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm very shallow uh, a person, you know, and uh, the color of a guitar is the determining factor usually in the style style of it. Um, I mean, in all seriousness, the first guitar I bought um, was 50 pounds. It was a, uh, it was a Strat copy. So it was a Fender Strat copy. Mm-hmm. And, um, and you, know, I, I, you know, I learned my first few licks on that. But then I, I was a big fan of a guy called Roddy Frame from a band called Aztec Camera. Are you familiar with those? They had a, I know the name Aztec Camera. Yeah, their big hit was Somewhere in My Heart. Somewhere in my heart there is a star that shines for you. Anyway, I was a big fan of that. They, 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 Roddy's from East Kilbride in Scotland, and um, mm. he played a Telecaster, uh, Fender Tele. So 
you know, I naturally gravitated towards that. So my my guitar of choice for most of my young life was a Telecaster. Um, and I eventually got an actual, because most of my copies, my guitars were copied like Squire. I mean, are you a musician yourself, Naomi? I'm a singer, yes. You're a singer, I sang in yeah, a rock so you... band for many years. Oh, cool, yeah, right. Well, you have to, I'll have to interview about that in a little while. But, um, <laughs> so you know all about Squire copies. Sure, you know, guitar. So, sure um, do. Yeah. Yeah, I mainly had sort of squires, but then I did one day manage to get uh, a, a proper Fender telly, but that was on, on what they call, or George Harrison used to call these a, a knocker, where you mm. go in and you put, uh, you pay half now and then the rest when they catch you. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I never fully paid that guitar off, but that was my first full on um, uh, Fender telly. And I, so I like telecasters, um, but mm. then I, what what my my view on guitars has always been Jimi hendrix could get anything out of any guitar do you know what i mean i could have the best guitar in the world but if i'm sitting next to Jimi hendrix he's still going to sound better than me so i, I never his tone <laughs> yeah so i never really put too much store in the guitar and especially with recording techniques you can i mean what i'm saying is i'm not a purist and I, i'm i'm by no means a virtuoso guitarist anyway so I always saw the guitar as, you know, it's just a, it's just an instrument, you know, mm. all the all the old blues greats. You know, I mean, they weren't playing on top of the range, um, you know, guitars. Mm. Um, yeah, so that I all just, came that all came later, you know. Yeah, <laughs> not while you I mean, were honing your craft. Yeah, I mean, that's not to say that people, you know, all the greats choose great guitars and great amps, but I, I personally was never able to find the the right combination really. And like I say, I never been a connoisseur i know what i like and it's usually based on um what they look like and you know and how if as long as they're not too heavy i mean i i had yeah. i did have a, a les paul once i had a gibson les paul it's far too heavy for me uh -huh. i just couldn't get i couldn't get with it you know so yeah I'll, I'll try and get a sound out of anything really but at the moment i've just got a, i've got a squire strat i've got mm -hmm. uh uh what have i got i got another les paul copy I've got a bass guitar with three strings on. Nice. <laughs> so, you know, that there it is, really. I'm just, you know, I'll play whatever you put in my hand to the best of my ability, you know, and that's it, really. They used to, uh, Les Paul used to make a, a model called The Goddess. Tell me more. It had a rose starburst on the front, rose burst mm. um, for mm. the color, and it also came in a pink and a purple. So they were mm. designed for women to play. They were lighter and they had a smaller fretboard and whatnot. I had one mm. of those for a while. I ended up selling it though because I didn't put put enough into it. I just never picked it up enough, and I felt that somebody who was going to play it more deserved it, so I sold it. Do you, Do you mean because it was like an original and you didn't want to destroy it? Yeah, you were nervous. Well, it was a you were nervous guitar. Yeah, it yeah, was yeah. a gorgeous guitar and. A little yeah, yeah. nervous to play it because I was trying to sing it like what you had described, sing and play at the same time. <laughs> I was afraid that, that that guitar belonged on a stage and I was afraid to, I was just simply afraid, you know? Yeah. No, and I, 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 totally I understand that. I'll tell you what my favorite guitar is though, that I've never owned. My my dream guitar actually mm -hmm. is a, um is an Epiphone uh, Casino. Oh, okay. And now that guitar was the one that the Beatles used on Sergeant Pepper and uh -huh. they john and paul both had one and then they eventually they had um sunburst uh sunburst versions but they were the guitars that they stripped of their lacquer and the and the paint 
because someone had told them that the guitar ring, you know, the, the wood, when the wood's allowed to breathe, it, it resonates more and they get a better sound. So they actually had the, the lacquer and the paint removed and then they ended up being, you know, just the natural wood finish. But wow. um, yeah, but I mean, you know, Sergeant Pepper is one of my favorite albums. And so, so my heart's always been set on a, yeah, I mean, I'd love to be able to get, you know, an original 60s one. Uh, mm. But yeah, that's it. So uh, an Epiphone Casino. Thank you very much, Santa. <laughs> <laughs> the Christmas list starts here. <laughs> yeah. After these messages, we'll be right back. Dope Nostalgia listeners, I love you and I thank you so much for being a part of this show and its success over the last two years. We have what's called Patreon for those who want to support the show financially. For as little as $1 a month, you can become a subscriber and get bonus content, early podcast release, all kinds of cool behind the scenes stuff, and more. There's different tiers of membership starting at only $1 a month. And we even have some special merch for you guys who are in it for the long run. So please join our Patreon. It's at www.patreon.com forward slash dope nostalgia. Want to understand the world we live in today? Just go back 30 years to the 1990s. Nearly every aspect of society underwent major changes in the 90s that are still being felt today. Some things weren't so great. Hairstyles, trash TV, and baggy pants. But you know what was great? The music, the movies, TV, and changes in technology that were nothing short of revolutionary. I'm Kathy Kinzora, and on each episode of my podcast, History of the 90s, I look back at important news events and pop culture trends from the decade. So you can not only understand what happened, but also learn how it impacts you today. Everything from the end of communism and apartheid to supermodels and Super Nintendo. If it happened in the 90s, you'll hear about it on History of the 90s. If you think this is magic, watch this. The Etch-A-Sketch Magic Screen. Turn the dials and like magic lines appear out of nowhere. But the magic isn't just in how you draw, it's also in how you erase. The one and only original Etch-A-Sketch from Ohio Art. Magic in a box. I love 
Um, I also noticed from watching the videos and performances that you have two ladies dancing for each performance. Mm. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, so I work with a number of girls um, and, you know, this is where V so AV, if you go back to AV, that, that was, it was alternative vision, but it's also known as audio visual, right? Yeah. Or as David Bowie would describe it, sound and vision. Mm. And these are obviously the two flip sides of a successful career in music entertainment. Mm. And um, if you go back to the 50s, you would just get a singer or a singer guitarist and they'd go on stage on their own, they'd sing their song and that was it. And nobody cared and they didn't expect any more than that. Whereas if you watch this year's Eurovision Song Contest, I don't know if you're interested in Eurovision Song Contest, but it was in. I know about it. I haven't <laughs> seen it. it, it's, it it's, a... it's not. It's not um, well known in North America. No, no. Yeah. you're not. You're not missing much. Okay. Um, <laughs> because it is very commercial and it's very. Um, it's very centered in a particular. Well, sort of a particular sort of genre of music. It's like. Um, you know, it's obviously Europop, you know, but mm -hmm. I watched snippets of it this year and, you know, there were like a thousand people on stage, you know. To to Mac show, as as the Beatles were told to do when they went to Hamburg, you know, make a shot. Mm -hmm. And and the way it's done these days is the more bodies you have on stage and the more choreographed it is and the more lighting, uh, you know, uh, um, you know, spectacular the more spectacular lighting, the better the show. Mm -hmm. So I, you know, I was in that period where they were looking at me and they're like, right, we, this visually, it's okay, but how do we enhance this, you know? So the two girls either side, and I'm not belittling, I call them two girls, but Rachel Lotchud and uh, Tanjo were my girls in, in London. They, they were, they were ah. brilliant, of course. And then when I went to America, because of like, I don't know if it was to do with costs or whatever, or I don't know the reason, but I would work with different different people in the states, mm -hmm. and I work with different girls in different place, uh, different places. Okay. Um, but you know, I mean, you know, everything has a bit of a story attached to it. I mean, I even remember being in New York, and we were auditioning for the girls that were going to appear with me in New York, and one one particular girl didn't want to work with me because she thought I was like this down home like country hick. And she was like, I ain't working behind that country boy. You know, like, you know, <laughs> like there was as if there was some kind of, you know, like, I don't know, like racial aspect to it or something like that. You know, it, it you know, so everything has got a little bit of a story to it. But generally speaking, the girls that I worked with were, I was in awe of them, you know, I mean, mm. their, their skills as dancers were like phenomenal and I can't dance to save my life. Um, and I was incredibly, you know, honoured to work with them. And they, they really did mm -hmm. carry the show. You know, I mean, it, on every occasion that I worked with them, whether it was live or, uh, you know, on, on tour or on a TV show, I was like, wow, you know, I, I don't really have to, I can take my foot off the gas here and just, you know, <laughs> let them take, do all the work, you know. I mean, they were they were just brilliant I mean, and great mm -hmm. fun and, and um I, I tell you what, though, I tell you, I tell you something. They didn't get paid well mm. because they didn't work 
for me, if you see what I mean. I mean, you know, I've been a pop fan my entire life. And when you look at an act on stage, you think you're looking at a, a, a group of friends who are all having fun and they're all getting paid the same money if they're getting paid and they're all rich and and, and life great, you know, but mm -hmm. it's not like that. You know, it's not like that. I mean, I wasn't making a load of money at the start and, and they were making even less. And they used to come to me and say, I cannot afford to, uh, you know, eat tonight. And it was it was heartbreaking. It was heartbreaking. Yeah. And, you know, and I'd be like, well, because I didn't know anything about their, you know, their arrangement. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And it was it was awful because that happened more than once. That happened more than once. Um, and I would do what I could. Mm. Um, and I have I have this really 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 awful memory of having a conversation like that. And exactly the same moment, some other guys in the record label hierarchy were. I remember it was a promoter a female promoter, a TV promoter, and a guy from the record company, and he was gifting her like a bracelet or something. Mm. It was like, have this, you know, 10,000 pound bracelet as a, a demonstration of our appreciation for all you've done for, you know, Jimmy or whatever. Okay. And I can remember it. We, you know, me and my dancing colleague were having this conversation about poverty. You know, we were both broke. And then right there in front of us, there was this transaction going on hmm. that was like quite distasteful, you know, and I, I remember thinking, but I mean, you hear that, you know, this is the way the business is, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. it's a business and that show business, show business, show business. Yeah. You know, and loads of stories of that. I mean, I don't know whether it's good or bad, you know, struggling artists, you know, it, it's a struggle. It's a yeah. struggle and you have to commit, a lot and give up a lot and sacrifice a lot to try and pursue that dream yeah that's what it's all about you yeah know, but then at like, the same time they're pulling the strings and taking advantage of you and your talents and your vulnerabilities and it's i've in doing this podcast i've talked to many artists and heard about some of the horrible things that record companies do mm. you know so mm. it's been very eye-opening yeah and just like your story yeah, yeah. But I really felt for those girls because I mean, I admire anyone who can dance. Like I say, I can't dance, and they, they and were they wonderful were like, dancers. Oh, I loved it. I loved what they added. Supremely gifted, and um, you know, I just, I just think it's slightly heartbreaking that all the time that you know they they give so much on camera, but mm -hmm. but the true story behind it is one of struggle, poverty, <laughs> you know. Mm -hmm. and, and and following that dream you know but that you know that's what i think most people that go into entertainment it kind of accept that that mm -hmm. that it's you know it's it, it is a struggle you know and, that, and that's what i suppose in a way makes it worthwhile when you do have some amount of success you're like you know i, I did it you know I, I got through and i made it you know but yeah but i mean i will i will admire respect and be grateful to all of those girls i work with till my dying day they were absolutely brilliant to move into the 2000s and and what's going on now you launched a record label la Rocca records right in 2016 yeah that's right well a lot of a lot of water had gone under the bridge since my brush with success and you know i've always defined myself 
as a musician, first and foremost. Um, so when my career hit the, you know, hit the buffers, I, I did turn my back on it and I walked away from it. And it was, I think I did that mainly because when you get that close mm -hmm. and then it doesn't, you know, continue, you're like, oh, well, how am I going to ever, you know, that was my chance, you know. So, you know, you, you, you're confronted with sort of decisions, you know, life choices. What am I going to do? You know, am I going to just keep flogging a dead horse? You can, I mean, you can appreciate that, you know, when you've had. A, so as far as I know, don't quote me on this, but I've got a thing on the wall over here. This is my little I've got. a. All of my mementos from my career are on the wall behind the door. My yeah. fiance, it's the only space you'll give me, isn't it, Ro? It's the only space <laughs> you'll give me in the apartment. It's the bit behind the door. So when the kitchen door's open, you can't see any of them. <laughs> but one of the things on the wall next to the, the signed uh, Little Richard CD that he gave to me is um is a thing that says Jimmy Ray um, still holds like a 25-year record for the highest chart entry in the US Billboard chart for a debut UK artist. Now, as far as I know, that still stands. I don't, don't quote me on that, like I said, but as far as I know, that still stands. So it's probably nearly 30 years now. Mm. So for a shit kicker from the UK, I think I still hold the highest chart entry for, you know, for a first record. Um, well done. Well, <laughs> that is excellent. Yeah, come on. <laughs> come on, Jimmy. Um, what was I talking about? I've, I've, I'm so, I'm so. Um... We're, we're kind of going into the the <laughs> progression from when you were kind of like disillusioned with what had happened, and you're heading into 2016, yeah, launching your label. And, yeah. yeah, sorry, you got me back on on my train of thought. So, when you've had that, when you've had that level of sort of quick success, and like you said, all the sort of um, exposure I had mm -hmm. to get dropped within like six months, you're like. Well, what was I supposed to do? You know, what 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 didn't I do? Mm -hmm. What didn't I do that you wanted me to do? You know, mm -hmm. and, and in hindsight, I can probably put my finger on a few of the things that I didn't do that I should have done. But so that's why I kind of just, I came out of the business. You know, I was just like, I, I don't know what to do. So, so I came away from it. And then a lot of years passed very quickly. <laughs> and then in 2015, I think it was a bit before that, 14, 15, I was like, ah, oh, I've just got to make a record. And, and I, I remember the feeling inside of me was like, I don't want people to think that when I did all that, it was just like, oh, look at me, I'm a pop star, you know. Mm -hmm. I wanted to assert the fact that I was, I had always been a musician before that, you know, ever since I was like 16. Mm -hmm. It took me like 10, best part of 10 years to get to Jimmy Ray, are you Jimmy Ray? And I was like, oh, I've got to prove to myself, not to myself, but to the world, you know, that I, there's actually something, there was something behind it all, you know. So that's why I just set up the label and I was determined to make a record and I did. And I, I wrote, produced, mixed. I shouldn't have mixed it myself because it didn't come out sounding very well. Uh, mixed and released it all myself. You know, I invested all my own money and did it all myself, did all the design of the sleeve and got it manual, everything mm. myself. 
and it makes me sound like an extraordinarily big-headed person. But it was it wasn't really that. What it was was I just didn't have the money to do it any other way. You know, mm -hmm. I just I, it was self-funded. You know, and I this was before crowdfunding and all that. I didn't know anything about that, and so I just plowed every last penny I had I had into it. And I I I was really quite pleased with the songs. This is the Live to Fight Another Day album, 2017, mm. I think. Even that's like ages ago now. <laughs> but I was very pleased with the songs. And my voice, funnily enough, had seemed to have got to a place that I was quite happy with, probably better than it I'd really ever heard it before. Mm. Um, my, vo my voice actually struggled a bit after that whole kind of Jimmy Ray thing. I remember I did write, so I did write a second album. I did do. There was a second Jimmy Ray album. This yeah. is like the lot. This is like the other lost Jimmy Ray album. The AV album is lost, and yeah. then after my Jimmy Ray album with Are You Jimmy Ray and I Got Rolled, there was another album that I wrote and I submitted to the label. I got dropped on it, um, but there were some really good tracks on that as well. But at that time, I don't know if it was, I was on the road too much and enjoying myself too much. My voice suffered a little bit, and it, I wasn't that pleased with the way my voice sounded, but. On the mm. two, 2017 album, I was very happy with my voice, very happy with the songs. So, yeah, that 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 was what it was. It was just a self-funded project mm. to say, look, this is this is who I really am. You know, this is what I do. I mm. hope you enjoy these records. You know, that was it. I, tr I tried to promote it as much as I could. I got in touch with all all the radio stations and the and the people I've been in touch with in the States all that time before, but I didn't get a single bite. No one. No one, yeah, you know, no one was interested in it. So, oh, that's that's it's yeah. harsh, isn't it? It's yeah. harsh. Yeah, <laughs> no radio. I, I'm sure it's still very much controlled by the record companies as well. So, mm. it hasn't made it any easier to break into radio. It's kind of like no, everything. No, no. Everybody's got to do their own thing now, and like you did, self-produce, self-promote, yeah. and then the fan base. You know. We rely on them heavily. <laughs> well, the, yeah, I mean, the thing is now, that is the way the business is, and that, that's a good thing. I mean, you know, mm. the fact that you can set up your own uh, labels and, and do it yourself is brilliant, you know, and that's great. I mean, I mean, the recording facilities that, that musicians have these days are, you know, equate to the best, like, to Olympic studios in the day, you know. So it's great that people have that autonomy to do it themselves. But it is very – there's so much competition now. You know, mm. it's very hard to make a splash, you know, to get noticed and um so i think in a way that the majors do still control it in a sense but you know what on that radio thing i have another memory i remember being in the states and sitting in the back of a like a you know a, lim a, a limousine or whatever i was being driven from a to b i can't remember where it was but mm -hmm. i remember a record company guy was in the front seat <laughs> and he was talking to uh the, a promoter or someone who was driving and that and he, i could remember him saying if you play Jim's record, we will give you so and so's record, like the next person on the on the uh, on the conveyor belt. You know, if you play his record, in the, I think he thought I was asleep or like passed out or something on the back seat. I probably, you know, I, I half was. But it's like mm. if you if you play his record, we'll give you, you know, X, Y, and Z. And it was very much that horse trading, and it was like, hang on a minute, I'm hello, I'm still here, I'm right here. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? It was very much that, like, you know, I'm a tin of beans, mm. you know, and it's Commodities. Just, it, it just, yeah, exactly, you know, but, 
that's what they always said. They said that records were just devices to sell record players. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Makes sense. Yeah. I don't know. But I mean, there's got to be a freedom now in being able to express yourself without their control in the way. Oh, you know? absolutely. But mm-hmm. but but on the other hand, you know, on the other hand, in the in the 1980s, which is the period of music that I was most attuned to, you know, in those days I would read pop magazines, I'd know everything about everyone, you know, what yeah. was going on. Today I know like zero. So don't ask me anything about what's happened in the last 10 years. You can probably appreciate it. <laughs> I don't know anything. You look young enough to probably know exactly what's going on, but I, I'm not. No, I'm like, I'm all about the 90s. That's why this show is very 90s centric. So yeah. that was my era of knowing everything on the radio and absorbing See, it all. The, yeah, of course. But what I was going to say was in the 80s, the idea of signing to a label was part of the dream. Do you know what I mean? It was it was getting signed that yeah was the was the yeah you know that that was the that was the goal yeah because um, you thought that when you got signed that was it and the rest would just come naturally and of course in that period as well they uh, there was this thing called artist development where if you got signed it was usually because they had that genuinely sort of partially genuinely seen something in you that they thought was had a bit of legs to it you know and they would they would develop it and you could have a massive flop with your first hit you could like not chart with your first record and then and then even with your second record and they'd persevere with you and it was they were developing you and they were giving you that time to you know hone your skills and and under you know improve your performances and and, and get better songwriters and and often it was i mean you know this often it was like your third hit your third release that would be the hit, and then they'd go back and release number one and two. Yeah. I mean, that even happened with the, that even happened with the Pet Shop Boys. I mean, we were watching something a documentary about them the other day. You know, their first song was Opportunities, and that was a flop. You know, but because the record companies in those days gave you a bit of time to develop, they then came with West End Girls and it paid off. But I was in that era. I was in that crossover period where, like, you know, like as you've alluded to, you know, I had a big hit. I still got dropped. You know, that was my first record. You know, so so this idea of that autonomy to to run your own show with your own label and do it yourself is great, and I, I it does give you that freedom, but also, you know, that I, I kind of miss that idea of getting on the label and them supporting you and developing you and building you a little bit. You know, I kind of kind of miss that idea a little bit, but um, you know, times change. They do.
say as we get closer to wrapping things up, I'd like to know what you're making for music now. I'm going to play some clips on the show of like the songs from 2017. If, mm-hmm. if you're cool with that, I'd like to play one or Absolutely. two of those yeah. to share them with people. Um, yeah, but what are you what are you currently working on musically? Well, the truth is, I'm not that active in the industry at at this present time. You know, I am. Mm-hmm. Um, I do little things here and there. I, I never really, I mean, it was kind of like an extension of my sticking my finger up to the industry back in 1999 or whenever it was, you know, I, I, I've, I've not maintained the presence in the industry mm. and I've, um, you know, whether or not I have regrets about that, I don't know. All I know is that I can probably my next song will be my best. Um, I like to hear that. You know, <laughs> I I I'm very fortunate in that I found myself in a place in time where I know I can pick up my guitar and write a kick-ass song. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't fret about it. I don't worry about it. Um, I'm hoping the time will come in the short term or medium term where I really desire to, you know, write a batch of songs and record them and, and put something out. Um, um, but, you know, songwriting for me is the real pleasure of being a musician. It's, it's that mix of music and lyric, the expression of something, you know, the, the melancholy of a chord change, you know, with, mm. with a, a lyric that, a, a yearning lyric or a regretful one um you know that's the when you hit that sweet spot you know with it with a, with a nice melody and a catchy melody you know i like pop music i like you know don't bore us get to the chorus you know i like all that <laughs> yeah. when um you now when you when you when you do that when you find yourself creating that wherever that comes from you know that's that's the whole point for me. That that is really it. Um, mm. I'd like to then be able to take that out and uh, entertain an audience with that. I've never been good at that. I haven't kept it up. No, I haven't been on tour much. Um, you know, but I there's enough people out there doing it. You know, there's enough people out there doing it. They, there's no one really waiting around for a new Jimmy Ray record. That isn't true. <laughs> I only said that, that so you'd true. say that. <laughs> <laughs> there are people waiting around for that. And that's very exciting. I, I'm very excited that you took the time to be a guest on this show and talk about your journey. And thank you for that. No, you're welcome. It's It's been a real pleasure. I mean, uh, the, knowing that I was going to have this conversation with you, it made me pick up my guitar and play some of the old songs. And it, you know, it was a nice sort yeah. of step back in time. And uh, I'm really grateful for you reaching out and I've really enjoyed it. I'd love to have you back on again. And especially if you've, if you've got something that you want to share or promote, um, please keep in touch. <laughs> I, well, I'll, how I'll about, always have you back on. How about next time I write a song, we'll get in touch and I'll play it for you on, on the show. Uh, that's perfect. Let's do okay, that. That's, that's a date. <laughs> <laughs> My working week and my Sunday rest My day and night 
my talk and my song. I thought you would last forever, but I was wrong. Cause your love sent me, yeah, sent me straight up to the stars. Then it sent me, yeah, sent me crashing straight back down to you. Pull away the oceans, brush up the wood, but nothing now can ever come to any good. Cause your love sent me, yeah, sent me straight up to the stars. Then it sent me, yeah, you sent me crashing straight back down to the world. Social media, yeah, we've got it. Send us an email, dopenostalgiapodcast at gmail.com. Twitter, Nostalgia Dope. Or on Insta, dope underscore nostalgia. This podcast is licensed by SoCan because we believe that artists should be paid for their work.